ECDC On Air. The podcast of the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. Keeping up to date with European epidemiology. Hello, my name is Nicholas and I'm your host for today's episode of ECDC On Air, which is the podcast for the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. It's April 2023 and we are marking this year's European Immunisation Week under the theme A Lifelong Approach to Vaccination emphasizing the crucial importance of vaccines for young children, but also stressing that vaccines are strongly recommended also for adolescents, adults and the elderly. With me here in the studio today is Piotr Kramarsch, who is ECDC's Deputy Chief Scientist. Hello, Piotr. Glad to have you here again. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. So I want to start off asking you, many countries around the world continue to see outbreaks of diseases that could be prevented with vaccines. Why is it that we still see so many of these outbreaks? Well, vaccination is one of the greatest achievements of medicine. The first vaccines were developed at the end of 18th century, but the bulk of them were introduced in the 20th century. And they led to a dramatic decrease in morbidity and mortality from uh, vaccine-preventable diseases, meaning that the numbers of cases dropped after the introduction of the vaccines and the number of deaths linked to these diseases. But despite these successes, we observe in many European countries increasing uh, levels of uh, hesitancy to get vaccinated, a decline in acceptance of vaccines, And following this, we see outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases again. I think a lot of this is driven by an unprecedented spread of misinformation and actually disinformation about vaccination. And to some extent, vaccines are a victim of their own success because many people, because of the success of vaccination, people don't see diseases caused by many viruses and bacteria, and they don't realize what the threat is. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen a lot of protest action, people who've been skeptical uh, against vaccines, I guess increasingly so. Do do you think this affected the uptake of vaccines? Definitely, there has been some effect on the rates of vaccination. But I have to say that most countries did well, even during the acute phase of the COVID pandemic, when uh, many of the practices, general practices, in the member states of the European Union were closed because of COVID. The country still did uh, relatively well and managed to keep vaccine coverage uh, largely unaffected by the pandemic. But it doesn't mean that the situation is is good. It was suboptimal with the vaccination coverage even before the pandemic, and, and we see this, this continuing. So the important thing is to increase the vaccination coverage in many areas, for many vaccines and in many areas in Europe. And it's not just a matter of keeping the vaccination coverage high, but also sticking to the timelines of delivery of vaccination. Vaccines have some recommended times, some ages uh, when they are recommended. And it's very important to get these vaccines uh, at this age to prevent some bad consequences of not doing this. This week, uh, ECDC is releasing a new report on, on polio. It says that uh, over 2 million children in the EU EAA countries may not have received the full course of polio vaccines on time. What kind of risks do you see with this? Indeed, the European region of the World Health Organization 
has been kept polio-free for 20 years now. But the wild poliovirus is circulating in some areas of the world still. And there are also uh, so-called vaccine-derived polioviruses. What uh, happens is that in some areas of the world with low vaccination coverage, where oral live polio vaccines are still used, this live virus from the vaccine can spread in the community and over time can accumulate mutations and, and it may become dangerous. And it's happening in some countries, especially in Africa, which means that there is a constant threat. And that means that uh, vaccination coverage has to be kept uh, high to provide a barrier against the introduction of such viruses. Fortunately, in the European Union, we have adequate surveillance systems to detect any cases of polio happening. And we have high vaccination coverage that meant that so far there were no detections of human cases. But the risk remains. So it's extremely important to keep the vaccination coverage high. It's currently at the level of EU uh, higher than 90% for the free doses of the, of the polio vaccine. But it has to be kept consistently high in all areas in Europe and in all populations to provide this barrier against the introduction of either these wild polioviruses from outside or, or vaccine-derived polioviruses. And has there been a decrease in the number of children getting vaccinated each year, would you say, or is it, is it at the same level? The levels have remained relatively stable, but it doesn't mean that we can be complacent now. It needs uh, constant effort because the figures may look good at the level of a country or even the EU, but it's important to keep high vaccination coverage in every area and every population, not to create a, a gap in immunity where the virus can enter. Measles is another vaccine-preventable disease with high potential to lead to extensive outbreaks. Can you tell me a bit more about the current situation concerning measles? Yes, measles is another threat. Overall, again, the, the vaccination coverage uh, with uh, measles vaccines, with the two doses that is recommended, is slightly below 90% at the level of EU, which is suboptimal. It should be over 95%. And there are big differences between the countries and also between the areas of the countries. And there are countries and areas where this vaccination coverage is lower and is quite suboptimal. Measles is a disease which is very infective. The virus, when it's introduced to a population which is not immune, one case of measles can cause between 12 and 18 new cases. And when a person is not immune and meets someone with measles, there is a more than 90% chance that uh, this person can be infected. So it's very infective, which means that the virus will find in a population people who are not immunized and it will infect them. And we need high vaccination coverage to, to prevent this. Um, when the virus gets introduced into a community where there is low vaccination coverage, it will create a, an outbreak and, and we see it happen. I read in this a new report that we're also releasing this week on measles, the annual epidemiological report on measles, that there was actually a 99% decrease in cases in 2022 compared with 2018. For me, that sounds like pretty good news. Or what do you say? Uh, it looks uh, actually like the impact of the COVID pandemic. Uh, what happened uh, during the, the pandemic, there were various uh, uh, measures to control the spread of the COVID-19 virus. And these measures were things like closing schools in some countries and reducing a lot uh, of physical contacts between people, keeping children 
at home, which meant that they had fewer opportunities to meet with each other, which of course prevented a lot of viruses from spreading, especially airborne viruses and measles is an airborne virus. So that probably contributed uh, quite a lot to the decrease in measles reporting, incidents and reporting. It may be possible that uh, there were some problems with detection of the, the disease because a lot of general practices switched to virtual uh, work with patients and there might have been fewer opportunities to test people and, and detect uh, the virus. But it looks like a lot of this is due to the COVID pandemic and its effects. Okay, so we shouldn't be celebrating too much this figure then. And exactly. we, we have to remain vigilant. Can you tell me who are most at risk of measles? When you look at the data, it's actually children during their first year of life. This is the, the age group where we register the most of the cases. That's the high, where the highest incidence is. And they are too young to be vaccinated. We don't vaccinate children during their first year of life usually, which means that the only way to protect them is through a barrier of immunity around them, which means that we need to have high vaccination coverage in people around such babies so that they don't get the disease and uh, they can develop during their first year of life into their second year of life when measles vaccines can be delivered and then protect them. There's sometimes a preconception that routine vaccination is for children only. But what about vaccination among adults? Indeed, for a long time, vaccination was considered a preventive measure delivered during childhood. And when I studied medicine, I remember we had a course about uh, vaccination, which was part of the pediatrics training because it was considered part of kind of preventing childhood diseases. But this paradigm is changing uh, now. And there is a realization that... Uh, Vaccination is something that applies at different ages throughout the course of human life. And uh, some of this is driven by the fact that older adults need some vaccines because they are more vulnerable to some diseases. And in most of the countries, for example, influenza vaccination is recommended for older adults starting with some age, 50, 55, 60 years. Also, COVID-19 vaccines are you know, we, as a priority delivered to in this age group to prevent uh, older adults from getting some bad consequences of COVID disease. Pneumococcal vaccines are also targeting this age, but there are some diseases where immunity wanes over time and it's happening for all adults. So for example, tetanus antibodies that are produced in reaction to tetanus vaccination, they wane, they decline over time. And we need periodic boosters to keep the level of antibodies high. It's the same applies to diphtheria. And then in some special situations linked to some professions, if somebody works in a microbiological laboratory, sometimes people need some special vaccinations. And also when we travel to some countries where some diseases are endemic, we may need some additional vaccination. In some countries recommend hepatitis A vaccination in such situations. So it also depends on lifestyle and profession. And uh, we've seen, uh, you talked about it a bit before as well, that when uh, vaccination coverage is low, the virus finds its way to spread into pockets of susceptible populations, and then that can lead to extensive outbreaks. Are there any particularly hard-to-reach groups that you think should be targeted that might constitute these sort of unvaccinated pockets? Yes, actually, in, in, in most of the countries, there are such, uh, as we call, hard-to-reach populations, and they include uh, refugees, migrants asylum seekers, 
they are vulnerable to vaccine preventable diseases because they are often not vaccinated, they may have no immunity, and because of their conditions in, the, in which they live or they experience when they travel, they are more vulnerable to these diseases. So it's important to provide vaccination to them, to know where they are and what is their status and, and uh, have some mechanisms to vaccinate them. That differs from country to country. I myself was part of a mission a year ago uh, to Poland as part of the EU uh, civil protection mechanism uh, when there was a large influx of refugees from Ukraine at the beginning of the Russian aggression on Ukraine. And we were helping them and also helping Poland and other countries neighboring Ukraine to receive Uh, these uh, refugees and one of the issues was uh, actually how to ensure that they will get necessary vaccination so this is a very important issue to reach such populations and protect them in an effective way uh, okay and I, i think the final question i have for you and it's quite a big question vaccines we know they've been around for 200 years but we see now that the wave of disinformation the misinformation against them is probably uh, bigger than ever Why do you think this is happening now? Actually, I think this was observed since the beginning of vaccination throughout the 200 years of vaccination history. When vaccines first time appeared and started being used, remember there were some satirical pictures ridiculing them. And this, this continues since those times. It's important to confront the misinformation and also disinformation about vaccination and to increase people's trust in vaccination. What we do in ECDC, we started applying so-called 5C model that was developed in the University of Erfurt to diagnose the situation, why people don't want to be vaccinated and how to convince them to get vaccinated. And these 5Cs stand for confidence. People may not be confident that the vaccines are safe and effective. We have to address this with the proper information because they are safe and effective. People may be complacent about the disease. They may not see the, an issue with diseases because they don't see them anymore. Uh, so we have to tell people how important it is to get vaccinated. There may be constraints with access to vaccination that have to be mitigated for. And there is the issue of collective responsibility. People often see vaccines as a way to protect their health, but they are actually protecting people around us. And I remember several years ago, I attended a Congress on vaccination in Gdańsk in Poland. And the Congress was held in the center of solidarity to commemorate the place where the solidarity movement started years ago under the leadership of Lech Wałęsa. I had a chance to meet Lech Wałęsa, who was the leader of solidarity and uh, first the president of Poland, and he received the Nobel Prize. And to me, it just shows that vaccination is about solidarity. Actually, we don't vaccinate ourselves just to protect our health but to protect a lot of people around us, and especially people who are vulnerable to, to diseases or maybe they cannot be vaccinated. Okay, great. Thank you, Piotr. That's uh, all the questions I have for you this time. Thanks for coming to ECDC On Air again. Thank you very much for, for the questions and attention. We hope you enjoyed this episode of ECDC On Air. For more information about ECDC and its work, please visit us on the web at ecdc.europa.eu or follow us on social media.